let's look at Psalm 32 now, this morning. And I want to begin with a question. And the question is this, what do you do for fun? What do you do for fun? Chances are, as you are getting to know someone, somewhere between what do you do for a living and what's your biggest regret in life, (laughs) is this question, what do you do for fun? What do you enjoy doing? And that question assumes that we all like to have fun, that we all pursue joy one way or another. Even if you're someone who doesn't have hobbies, who doesn't maybe take a day off work, chances are deep down inside you are pursuing joy. Maybe it's a perceived joy in what your workaholism can buy. Or maybe it's joy in the idea that with a bigger bank account comes more financial stability. And often, our kind of full-throttled pursuit of joy is an effort to cover up something. Oftentimes, if we're not walking with the Lord, our full-throttled pursuit of joy is done in an effort to cover up. Maybe it's guilt. Maybe it's pain. Maybe it's sin. Maybe it's regret. We know something is not right inside of us, but we cover it up in search of finding joy by ignoring our problems. And this can take a lot of forms. For example, one way we deal with guilt or deal with what the Bible calls sin is by pushing it deep down inside our soul. Running hard after other things. Running hard after things that we think might dull the pain. Or distract us from dealing with sin. We try to hide it. Another way... We deal with guilt and with sin is by pretending that it's not really sin. By pretending that our guilt doesn't exist. By pretending to celebrate our sin. After all, if we can mutually approve of each other's struggles and sins and we could just kind of commiserate in the fact that, yeah, we're both struggling, haha, isn't that great? Or, yeah, you sin, well, so do I, that's all right, I'll affirm you, you can affirm me, we can celebrate each other's sins, we can celebrate that which is actually wrong, we think that that will make us feel better. And here, we're not so much hiding our sin in the darkness, but we're trying to pretend that our sin is not sin and banner it for all to not only see, but affirm and celebrate. But according to the Bible, neither of these approaches delivers on the promise of lasting joy. Neither of them give us what they advertise, which is lasting peace. But there is another way. In our psalm this morning, David, who was the king of Israel from about 990 B.C. to 1030 B.C., so about a thousand years before Jesus, King David pens this very personal, very autobiographical prayer song that takes us on a journey, really, through his attempt to cover up his sin and then the suffering that that brought And then, what ultimately led to his joy. In fact, this psalm has all the makings of a good old school Barbara Walters primetime exclusive interview. It's 
David shares, this is, my, this is my life, this is my sin, this is what I tried to do, this is the, the wreck that resulted, and this is what ultimately brought me peace, this is what ultimately brought me freedom. And here, David's answer for us, the truths given to us in Psalm 32, are just as relevant now as they were 3,000 years ago when God the Spirit wrote through David. So, let's look together at verse 1. The word of the Lord says, a mascal of David, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is forgiven. Is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. Now that is a huge statement. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and whose spirit there is no Deceit. You want to know where true blessing and joy and peace come from? You want to know where you can get it from? David says it comes from having your transgression forgiven and your sin covered. Having your iniquity, your sin, not counted against you. In fact, you might remember that all the way back in Psalm chapter 1, David said that there is a blessing for the person who meditates on Scripture. And now he adds that there is a blessing for the one who is forgiven of their sin. But notice the way here in verses 1 and 2, the way that David refers to sin being forgiven. In fact, that word forgiven, translated forgiven in your English Bible, comes from the Hebrew root word, which also means to lift So we could just as accurately say blessed is the one whose transgression or whose sin is lifted. I mean, isn't that what forgiveness feels like? If you're a Christian here this morning, you are a Christian because according to the sovereign work of God, you have turned away from your sin and you are trusting in the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for you. It means that you have asked to be forgiven of your sin. First your sin of unbelief, and then every other sin that flows from the sin of unbelief. And guess what happens when we confess our sin to God? Based on the work of Jesus Christ, God forgives us. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of some of our righteousness, unrighteousness, right? No, to cleanse us of most of our unrighteousness. No, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us of all our unrighteousness. I mean, think about that. Where can we go with our guilt? Where can we go with our regret and our failures and our sin? David says we confess it to the Lord. We seek forgiveness from God the Father based on the finished work of God the Son. 
And on the authority of God's word, we know that he forgives us of our sin. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And this is the blessing that David is writing about. The blessing of having our transgressions lifted. That's even better than the lifting that happens when our medical test from the doctor comes back clear. You know what that's like, right? Okay. That's great. The lifting of our transgressions is even better than the lifting that happens when we pass a big exam. All right, that's over. I passed. I made it. The lifting of our transgressions is even better when that physical weight is lifted off our back. Maybe when we we finally rack the weight on the barbell and we think, okay, feels so good. Better than all of that is the lifting of our transgression and our sin through the forgiveness of God, through the work of Jesus Christ. But the lifting of sin is not the only thing that God does to our sin. According to verse 1, our sin is also covered. In a few minutes, we're going to see what happens when we stop covering up our sin ourselves. What happens is, when we stop trying to cover our own sin, God actually covers it for us. He deals with it. He removes it as far as the east is from the west, the Bible says. God commits to put it out of his sight forever. What a blessing. What what a gift to have our sins forgiven. To have the weight of our sin and guilt and iniquity lifted off of us. To have our sin covered. To have it put out of the sight of God. But there's even more. David says in verse 2 that the forgiven person is blessed because the Lord does not count his iniquity. Does not count his iniquity. That's a Maybe an odd expression to us today, but that term for not counting iniquity would have been familiar to David's first audience. Because it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, where God is communicating his covenantal promises to Abraham. And after hearing the promises of God, Genesis 15, 6 says of Abraham, and he, Abraham, believed the Lord... And the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. So Abraham heard the promises of God, the covenantal promises of God, and he believed the Lord, and the Lord counted that faith, that belief, as righteousness. The Lord reckoned it to Abraham as righteousness. The Lord credited it to Abraham as righteousness. Abraham did not become inherently righteous himself. He didn't morph all of a sudden into a righteous man inside and out. No, he was credited, he was counted, he was reckoned as righteous. And so in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, God counts Abraham's faith as righteousness He counts him righteous. And here in Psalm 32, God does not count the iniquity or the sin of the forgiven. There's two things happening. For those who by faith trust in God through the work of Jesus, our sin is not counted against us and the righteousness of Jesus is counted 
to us. There's two countings going on. There's a two-way street, and both of them are glorious. And this is the point that Paul makes in Romans chapter 4. In Romans chapter 4, Paul uses Psalm 32 to make the point that Abraham was justified or Abraham was counted righteous, not because of what he did, not in his attempt to offer Isaac, his son, as a sacrifice, not in leaving his land and his family to follow the Lord, but he was counted righteous by faith in the Lord. He was reckoned righteous. That's what justification is. That's the glory of God's justifying work, that God, through Christ, counts us righteous, even as he reckons our sin to Christ. So let me just explain it like this. If you have repented of your sin, if you are trusting in Jesus Christ, God counts the righteousness of Jesus, the perfect A on the report card, God applies to your final report card, even though on your own you rightly deserve an F. God the Father takes the score of his perfect son, the perfect A, and he says, I'm not going to count your F against you. I'm going to count the perfect A of my son, Jesus Christ. And at the same time, you think, well, that's not fair. He takes our F and he places it on his son who then suffers the punishment for the failing grade by going to the cross because the wages of sin is death and dying in our place. So if you are a Christian this morning, you have received the, the righteousness of Jesus Christ applied to your account, debited to your account, counted towards your account. And your sin is no longer counted against you because Christ has taken it and he's gone to the cross and he's died. And you can see why then David would say, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. There is a joy there. Like, Are you experiencing that joy this morning? When was the last time you thought about that joy? Have you turned from sin? Are you trusting in Jesus, the Son of God, who lived perfectly righteous and who died in the place of all who believe and who rose from the dead, defeating death for all eternity for those who trust in him? Like, trust in him this morning. Turn to him this morning. Believe in him this morning, friend. There is a joy for the forgiven. And to make that point even more vivid, David takes us on an autobiographical journey through a time when he did not confess his sin to the Lord, when he sought to cover up his sin, sought to hide his sin. And he tells us in this all-access exclusive psalm what that is like. Look at verse 3. For when I kept silent, in other words, when I did not repent, when I did not confess to the Lord, my bones wasted away. 
through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. And this is the pain, friends, of unconfessed sin. And just in case we think this is only referring to those who are not trusting Jesus, the context of this psalm, according to verse 6 and 10 and 11, is primarily directed at those who are God followers. Like those who are the people of God and yet are living with unconfessed sin, unrepentant sin. And this is, friends, the Holy Spirit using David to warn us about the lethal side effects of unconfessed sin. Verse 3, it feels like your bones are wasting away. It causes deep groaning inside of us. We feel According to verse 4, the heaviness of God's hand upon us. His hand, not of blessing, but of correction and conviction. Unconfessed sin drains our strength. It robs us of our energy. And this is our experience when we try to hide our sin. It slowly eats away at us, consuming our energy. It robs us of sleep. It prevents us from joyfully living in the moment. It siphons our focus away from things we should be thinking about to think about how we can continue to cover up our sin. It steals our joy. We know what it's like to have this sort of heaviness in the pit of our stomach, to have this kind of weight on our chest when we know that we are not right with the God who made us. We don't need David to tell us that attempting to cover our sin brings physical suffering because we know that through our own experience. But it's helpful to be reminded not only of what it's like to live with unconfessed sin, but it's helpful to be reminded of the remedy. I mean, thankfully, here in Psalm 32, David isn't merely interested in diagnosing unconfessed sin. He's interested in prescribing the remedy. Look at verse 5. This was the turning point for David. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Brothers and sisters, what is the answer for dealing with our guilt and our sin? The answer is acknowledging it to the Lord. Like the prodigal son of Luke chapter 15, it is acknowledging I have sinned God against heaven and against you. It's acknowledging that we don't deserve mercy or grace, and yet pleading for mercy and grace because of the righteousness of Jesus. Like It's the opposite of covering our sin. It means exposing our sin, dragging it out into the light and calling it what it is. Look what happened when David did this. Again, just look at verse 5. Did God say to David, well... It's about time. I mean, what took you so long? Or, 
Did God say, well, give me 60 to 90 days to consider your confession? Let me get with the other members of the Trinity, we'll talk at her, we'll get back to you. Or did God respond with, well, David, you know, I want to see some signs of improvement first. I want you to demonstrate that you're really genuine in seeking my forgiveness. Give me some sort of evidence, give me a sign, and then we'll talk about it. No, it's not what happens at all in David's life or in ours. Verse 5, David says, I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Once again, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess, if we turn from, if we repent, if we acknowledge our sin to God, he is faithful, he is consistent, he is trustworthy, to forgive us of our sin. That's what's tied up in that word, faithful. He is faithful to forgive us of our sin. And he is also just to forgive us of our sin. God can't be just if he just pretends like sin doesn't exist. God can't be just if he just looks the other way, if he just winks at our sin. The only way God can be just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness is because our sin has been rightly paid for already, that the wages of sin has already been taken care of through the blood of Jesus Christ. So that confidently we know, not think, not hope, not wish, but know that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In much the same way, Proverbs 28, 13 says, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Think about the contrast here. Jim Hamilton writes, if we will not prosper if we hide our sin, but if we confess and repent, God hides our sin and we find mercy. In fact, if you're looking at verse 5, the same word for forgave is the same word in verse 1 that we looked at earlier, which means to lift as well. So in verse 5, David could just as easily have said, I will confess my transgressions to Yahweh and you lifted the iniquity of my sin. Do you need to be lifted this morning? Come to the Lord who is faithful and just to forgive. And therefore, in light of all of that, Verses 1 through 5, in light of all of that, David writes, verse 6, Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I mean, this is David sharing his personal testimony, which now connects to the rest of us. David is saying, okay, in light of all of this, the blessings of the forgiven, the abject 
horror or the abject misery of living in unrepentance, seeking to cover our sin. Therefore, in light of this, come before the Lord. Let everyone who is godly offer a prayer to you at a time when you may be found. When you may be found. Just like when the door of the ark was was closed, there is a day coming when Jesus will return and the opportunity for repentance will be over. Which is why the clarion call of Scripture is to repent now. Not later. Not this evening. Not tomorrow. Not next month. Not when you get older. But now. Sometimes when I'm trying to look up a passage of scripture in the Bible, I'll I'll just Google part of the verse or part of what I remember, try to figure out where it's found. You can go and judge me. I'm sure you have the Bible memorized, so you never do that, right? (laughs) So this week I typed in, today is the day of repentance. Something like that is said somewhere. Where is it? I know you're ashamed in your pastor. So I Googled that in and get what came up loud and clear, in fact, bold at the top was August 26th. Today is the day of repentance, August 26th. And I thought, great, we all have time, right? (laughs) Apparently, there is a day of repentance, which is a national holiday in Papua New Guinea. We do not have time. In the Bible, we are taught that the time for repentance is not August 26th, unless it's August 26th. The time for repentance is now. In Acts 17, 30 and 31, Paul warned the people of Athens with these words, the times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him, Jesus Christ, from the dead. Trust in Jesus today. Turn to Jesus today. Believe in Jesus today. And this also applies to you and me, even if we are already Christians. Brother or sister, if you are hiding sin today, if you are not confessing sin, if you are not repenting, then do so right now, today, while he may be found. Like this same call was given to the people of God in the Old Testament through the mouth of Isaiah. When in Isaiah 55, he warned the people, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. Let him return to our God that he will abundantly pardon. We're called to turn to the Lord today Now, this hour, this moment. And look now at the reward. Look at the joy. Look at what comes from acknowledging our sin to God. Verse 6, surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. I think perhaps David had in mind the flood. Those who did not have faith in God were left outside and the flood Wash them away. 
But he says, for those who do come before the Lord, those who do offer prayers of repentance and trust, who don't hide their sin, surely for them in the great rush of waters, the waters will not reach them. Verse 7, you are a hiding place for me. So we are hid in God through Christ. We are preserved in times of trouble. We are surrounded with shouts of deliverance. So I think why David would say in verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. He is saying to his audience then and to his audience now, don't do like I did. Blessed is the one who is forgiven. Blessed is the one whom the Lord lifts their sin and does away with their sin. Blessed be that one. And here's what happens if you don't confess. Here's what happens if you don't turn to the Lord. And he lays that out in verses three and four. And he shares in verse five what happens when we do acknowledge the Lord. Verses six and seven, he talks about the benefits of those who follow the Lord. Once again, in verse nine, he warns us, be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Don't be like those who hide their sin. Don't be like the unrepentant. You want to know what they're like, David says? They're like horses who don't know enough to stay near. They must be controlled by bit and bridle. Don't be like a stubborn mule who refuses to change course, who refuses to acknowledge your sin before the Lord. Friends, don't be like that. It's amazing, isn't it, that David cuts right through our facade as we hide our sin and as we refuse to repent. He says we're like mules, like ignorant horses. Then in verse 10, he adds that the sorrows of the wicked are many. What do the unrepentant get in the end? They don't get freedom. Verse 10, many are the sorrows of the wicked. There isn't freedom in hiding our sin. There isn't freedom in trying to get others to celebrate our sin. Freedom comes to those who confess sin to the Lord. And David doesn't end with a warning. He ends with the wonder of God's forgiveness. Look at verse 10 again. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love, covenant keeping love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Covenant keeping love surrounds the forgiven in the Lord. Therefore, verse 11, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy all the upright in heart. David ends with the upright here in verse 11. And as one of the interns helpfully mentioned, pointed out this week, to be upright does not mean to be someone who is perfect. To be upright means to be someone who repents. Those who acknowledge their sin, those who trust in the Lord, are surrounded by his steadfast covenantal love. We ought to shout for joy to the God of our salvation. We ought to worship the Lord with gladness. This is, friends, the joy of the forgiven. A deep 
seated, soul-nourishing joy, even when the storms of life come, even when we enter into dry seasons. We know, even as Joanna mentioned and helped us to remember this morning, that there is a confidence that we belong to Christ. We ought to be glad in the Lord. We ought to rejoice. We ought to be joyful.